Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can get to me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And my name is Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. You can get to me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. So, Michael, we had a huge show planned already to go. (laughs) And then Barry Trotz just shit all over it. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Go to Jaspers, everybody. Uh, (laughs) We have 11 new Predators that have been drafted. We are going to discuss them. Not necessarily each player in depth. Jeremy K. Gover, of course, of It's All Your Fault, did a great job on that. So if you want to go in-depth on each player, hear what they have to say, that's a great show for you. We're going to sort of look at the draft as a whole, the strategy, the 11 players, sort of the, the things that maybe Barry Trotz was trying to accomplish with some of these guys, some of the names that you may like out of this class the most, Michael. Uh, we'll get to that. That was going to be like what we were going to start with. Um, and on top of that, we already had to discuss the Nashville Predators trading Ryan Johansson. We already have to discuss them signing a couple of players, offering some RFAs. We had to discuss them. Uh, de- development camp starting July 1st. We had to discuss Pekka Rene being groomed to become the next head coach of the Nashville Predators. We had to discuss the Predators, Andrew Burnett, current head coach, adding a, a coach to his staff. We-, we had the NHL awards in which UC Soros continues to finish in the top five in the Vesna Trophy Award. Uh, we had all of that to discuss before they announce on Friday that they are going to buy out Matt Duchesne. And we'll get to the terms of that buyout. We will get to what it means. And so instead of starting with the NHL draft, Michael, we are going to start with the tandem of Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne no longer being Nashville Predators with a combined five years and $40 million left on their contracts. Nice job, David Poyle. Uh, before we do that, of course, um, when, when, when Michael and I like to have meetings, which we occasionally do, and we're going to sit down and chat about all things Nashville Predators and the gold standard and the future of the, the sport in Nashville. Where might we go do that, Michael Gallagher? We might go to Jasper's. Actually, no, we will go to Jasper's. What did the wife think of the Mexican street corn pizza? That's what I want to know. She liked it. I think I liked it a little bit more because I, like I said, I ate probably about 75% of that pizza by myself. But in my defense, it wasn't a very big one. It was was a good size. Um, But she liked it. And I, I expected not to like it. Because you're basically taking everything that's in like a burrito and putting it on a pizza, and it doesn't seem like it would mix well together, but it really did. The street corn was cooked good, had good flavor. You had the salsa, you had the cream sauce. Like you, if you like tacos and pizza, it's 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 the perfect marriage for you because you get both, and it the flavors don't cancel each other out, which is what I was what I was worried about. So when you go to a draft, uh, and of course we could also react to like how the draft experience was. We were there mm-hmm. on on Sunday. I know you were there on Thursday. Uh, of course, they give you these big goodie bags. And they do it during playoff games as well for all the media members. And inside, among not other like things, this goodie bag though. <laughs> uh, among uh, yeah, exactly. Among other things, including uh, a Predators etched glass of or bottle fifth of Jack Daniels, there was a little gift card in there for Jasper's because there was Jasper's, of course, a proud partner and sponsor for the Nashville Predators as well as this podcast. I've had like four business meetings there. Michael, in like the last two weeks, it is perfect place to go have a business meeting. It's also a great place to go watch the draft or any other summer events you may have. They've got, it was, now got, I was going to say, it, it was a good coupon, too. It wasn't none of those, like, spend $100, get $0.10 cents off. Like, it's $10 <laughs> off a $35 meal. Like, that's yeah. a really good coupon. Good good on you, Jaspers. It's like 35% off. Um, yeah. They also are now including bingo. So starting July 13th, they'll have two bingo nights a month, the second and fourth Thursday. So basically every other Thursday. You're going to have bingo night. They're going to have free giveaways. It's free to play. You just go sit down and play bingo, drink some beer. And of course, you can win some prizes. Who doesn't love bingo? So go go to Jasper's, everybody. Okay, we have so much to get to today. So let's start with the, the two major moves, one before the draft, one after the draft, uh, removing Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne from the team. Now, in different ways, it, it is reported that Matt Duchesne will be bought out by the National Predators. We are recording this around noon on Friday, so the news just broke. July 1st on Saturday is when his, his, um, his modified no-movement clause were to, was to kick in. So there's, a, there's the reasoning on the timing on this. Um, 5 p.m., of course, on Friday is when they there's deadlines. He's on waivers. People can claim him. Not going to happen. So eventually, he's going to be bought out. And I'll, let me lay out the numbers here before I ask you what. Uh, so here's here's the numbers. He had three years left, twenty four million dollars total, eight million AAV, uh, roughly, give or take some some rounding sense there. His his cap hit this year coming up in October is going to be two point five six million dollars. <throat> so you're going to save a pretty good chunk of ch- change in this first year. 
a little over five and a half million dollars. Next season, starting in October of 2024, the second year of what was left on his current contract, five point five six million dollars cap dead cap it because you're buying him out. The following year, six point five six million dollar cap it. All this according to Cap Friendly. So the three years that he was going to be left that were left on his contract, they basically went from twenty five million dollars total over three years to about they saved about nine and a half million dollars. So on average, about three million dollars per year they are saving by buying out Matt Duchesne for the three years that he would have been on the roster. They then incur a $1.56 million dead cap hit for the three years following that, that, that period of time. So the three years after which the contract would have run out, they're going to incur 1.56, 1.56, 1.56 dead cap hit for three straight years. Adding up to a grand total of savings, Matthew, Ga- Matthew, <laughs> Matthew Wood, Michael Gallagher, uh, add, add, adds up to a grand total of $4.7 million savings if you add up the entire thing. So my my first question is, how much does Barry Trotz not like Matt Duchesne? I don't know if it's... I don't know if Barry doesn't like Matt Duchesne. My thinking is, and I, and I don't know... Again, I've been really busy. I haven't really had time to follow up with any sources on what's going on because I've been just trying to recover from the two-day marathon that was a draft, but... I wonder if Matthew Shane had a modified no movement clause that kicked in tomorrow. Granted, it was only 10 teams, but that takes out Saturday, uh, July 1st, depending on when you're listening. Yes, Saturday, July 1st. Uh, That takes out a third of the league that you could possibly trade him to. And I just saw where Elliot uh, Nick Keezer tweeted out Elliot Freeman, I guess, was on 102.5. And he said that uh, um, the Predators were trying to trade Duchesne, I guess, throughout the draft and all that stuff, too. I wonder if that played a part in it because if they're trying to trade him and they're having no luck and then you would move one third of the pool that you could trade him to on Saturday, July 1st, then I wonder if, if it was just like, oh man, we're going to, we're going to get stuck with this. Like now is the time to pounce on this because if we don't, we're stuck with him for the rest of, of the, of the duration of his contract or whatever. But also that's a lot, that's an awful lot of money to be playing, to be paying players, not to score goals for you. The Johansson thing I understand and ultimately, it worked out. You can almost say it worked out better in Johansson's favor because he's in Colorado. He has a really good shot at being the number two center behind Nathan McKinnon out there. It feels like it's a better fit out there. It, it, he, Johansson just run his course. You clear up some cap space. You send him elsewhere. You open up a roster spot for either Novak or Parson to be your number two center. Um, that move makes sense. I'm okay with that. The Matthew Shane one, I don't understand. And, and Joe Rexford had a really good point on Twitter earlier. He said, he, I think he, he said something along the lines of like, I would rather pay $8 million to Matt Duchesne to score 25 to 30 goals than pay as much money as they are to buy him out for him to score zero goals. And I, I'm, I'm kind of along the, the, those lines as well. I don't under, I get it, but I also don't because it's an awful lot of money to eat. Then you're also paying out Kyle Turris and Ryan Johansson and Matias Eko and Ekholm's, you know, not that much, but you're paying, you're paying what was north of $12 million, at least over the next two seasons for four players to not pay play for you. It's I, I get it, but it's also very confusing. And I think this is Barry's been saying for, for weeks and months now, like there's a good chance we may be bad next year. We might have to take two steps back before we get this thing going again. And he's been trying to kind of temper expectations for fans and I wonder if this is why. I wonder if he knew this was in the in his plans and this was part of it. You got Ryan Johansson gone. You got Matthew Shane gone. Good. You open up two roster spots for young players, but you're eating a lot of money. And I, I feel like it wasn't necessary. They didn't need the cap space. Like I feel like they could have rode this thing out with twenty million. I think they were at twenty one million in, in salary cap space before. They could have rode this thing out with Matthew Shane this year to see what happens. But who knows what Barry Trotz is thinking? My, I'm of the mindset that I feel like this was a move to set up another move. Cause you have $24 million in cap space. Now I don't think they're going to be players in free agency. And Barry even said that I think they're looking at the trade market. I think they're looking at going and getting an impact score, maybe two with $24 million. Now I think the moves that if, if they make moves, it's going to come via trade. So I, I think this is going to be a great debate. We've already had multiple people ask us about the explanation. What is the corresponding move? What's the next thing we know that Saros is not available anymore. We know that that Barry Trotz, frankly, doesn't want to go big into the free agent pool. So what's the big trade, as you just alluded to? And and my first instinct, and, and I guess we have to kind of bring Ryan Johansson into this. Again, if you don't know, they trade him to Colorado. He has two years left at $8 million per. So again, 
as I mentioned, five total years left on at $40 million total between these two players that they have just moved on from. Colorado's going to take half the salary. The Preds are going to eat half the salary just two years. So that's $4 million this year, $4 million next year. Colorado eats that. And oh, by the way, you get a guy who's played 654 NHL games, and I don't want to try to say his name. Alex Galchenyuk, I believe is his name. He's kind of... He's played a lot yeah. of games in the NHL, but he's largely kind of an AHL guy now. So he's some depth pieces there. He's 29 years old. They're not going to resign him. He's not. He's not in their plans no, at all. He, if anything, he's an AHL depth. 354 career points. But again, the the point is they moved on from it. And and we do have to have a conversation at some point about the careers. I think Johansson, namely, because he played eight seasons here. And if you look at where he ranks historically in National Predators history, 533 games played. That's 13th all time. 110 goals scored that's ninth all time 252 assists that's sixth all time two 362 points that is sixth all time so he is a essentially a top 10 offensive player by a large margin he's the seventh all-time player in goals created he's seventh with 23 game winning goals uh he did have one singular hat trick and then if you look at his postseason scoring Second all-time in postseason goals scored with 17. First all-time with 31 assists and second all-time with 48 points. And of course, helped lead them to the cup and was a big part of beating, uh, getting them to the to the Stanley Cup championship round, at least the finals. So I, I think there is place, there's a place to discuss what these guys have meant to this. Now, Duchesne, they didn't really accomplish anything during his career, but he's the number one all-time single season goal scoring record holder at 43. and. And so I I can understand the Johansson move. The Duchesne one less so, to your point. But I think these are the moves. I don't think there is a corresponding move to me. To me. If you're going to run young players out there, run the young players out there, take your lumps, try to moneyball it, for lack of a better phrase. And if you make the playoffs, great. If you win a game, great. If you lose a game, great. You improve your draft stock in what is a draft in which you have another shit ton of picks next year. So I don't know if there is a corresponding move because I can't logically make sense of saving small amounts of money on two players that could score for you and create for you and then going and getting like even the injury with Johansson. That could be a factor here. You trade him, you eat the cost because maybe he's never going to be himself again. Maybe he's injured beyond repair. Duchesne, there's no indication that that's part of his, this analysis. And you're saving less money on a player who's produced more and is playing better hockey. I, I, I am with you. I am with Rex Road. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense other than we have to get these contracts off the books. We have to rid ourselves of these two, two particular players. Uh, like, I, I just, I can't, there's not a, a real reason other than we are, I am not afraid. This is Barry Trot speaking. I am not afraid to completely dismantle this thing. This is, this is, you talk about, taking competitive rebuild and shooting it into the sun. This is a complete teardown. If you're willing to do this kind of a move to me, I don't think there's a corresponding move. Am I crazy? No, I, 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 I get it. I understand where you're going with that. And to a degree, I, it makes sense. I agree with you, but I feel like if you're clearing this much cap space, it's hard to imagine the predators going into this season with 20 plus million of cap space, not being used. I, I, I just, I feel like, and again, it's fun to sit here and play armchair GM and all this stuff. But we saw how aggressive Barry Trotz was in the hours leading up to the draft and trying to get a top five pick. He 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 was bold. He said, I want this. I'm going after this. And he wasn't afraid to let the other GMs know that he was coming for him. He wanted their pick and he tried. He tried like hell. I talked to some people that were kind of talking about how how often he was calling other GMs, what he was offering. He even surprised himself with some of the packages he was offering. He, he's, <laughs> Barry Trotz is not afraid to be aggressive. So if he wants William Nylander, if he wants Alex to bring it, if he wants whoever else, and he's got the cap space and he thinks he can get them, I think Barry's going for it. It's going to be difficult to land those kinds of players because, they're again, they're some of the best of their position. There's a reason why they're making $9, $10 million a year. But... I again, I to me, this this shows Barry Trotz is not afraid to come in and undo everything David Poyle's done over the last three years, four years, however long, whatever. And yeah. he's even said stuff along the lines of, I'm not in the business of giving out long term big money contracts. He said that less than a week ago. And I don't think he I don't think he means it disrespectfully towards David Poyle, 
But I think that was his subtle way of trying to say the reason we're in this mess is because we're giving $8 million a year contracts to players. I'm not going to do that. So I understand what you're saying. And to, to a degree, I, I, I agree with you. But also, if you're not going after someone by clearing all this money, like, what are you doing? You're just going to go into the season with $20 million in cap space? Like, I get it. Let Tomasino, let Evangelista, let the young guys play. Maybe if you want to start Kemmel in the NHL and see what he can do, which I don't think is a great idea, but I would not be surprised if that happens. Like, yeah, you want to go with the young guys and let them ride and get a full season of experience under the belt. So that way in 2024, that they're more prepared and you can maybe make a run at the playoffs. I get it, but I, I don't feel like I, I don't feel like buying out Matt Duchesne was a necessary move. So the timing of it is a little curious. And the fact that they did it now with free agency about to start right after the draft wrapped up it, the optics famous word in sports media, like on the, on the surface, it looks like Barry Trotz is setting something up for another move, but if he doesn't, I wouldn't be surprised, but the fan base is going to be disappointed. I mean, like, look, he's clearly trying to trade both of them for a long period of time. It was easier to move Johansson in. And I would think from a predator's perspective, because there's only two years left on the deal. And you're not as worried about the, the, you're, you're more worried about the injury affecting his play. the, The timing is not all that shocking. Once you realize that, that, what July 1st is all about for Duchesne. But let's, let's, let's back up just a second real quickly to reiterate this. By moving Duchesne and Johansson in this upcoming season, they will save a grand total of $9.5 million on the cap. So that's a big chunk of change this year. If you wanted to go get somebody on a one-year deal, or and then next year, they're saving $6.5 million. So in the first two years of, these, of, this, of this situation, they are saving $16 million total, basically nine. And then, you know, nine and a half and then six and a half over the next two years. That would tell you, to your point, that there is something else coming. But to me, the only way that makes sense with the state of the franchise, the state of the farm system, the state of the roster, because now you have like one forward making more than $3 million a year who can even score any goals. Forsberg. Or Philip Forsberg. Philip Forsberg. Um what what doesn't make sense is going and buying a veteran. And I by veteran, I'm going to say anyone over 26 or 27. If you can go get a young superstar that you know you're going to have to pay a lot right away, like Austin Matthews or something, m- maybe you go do that. And that's what you're setting yourself up to do. What are the odds that that's possible? It seems, yeah. highly, it seems highly unlikely. So unless you can get a franchise-defining superstar, I don't – it doesn't – it, it that nine million this year, and that or that and that six and a half that six and a half next year doesn't to me it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because then the following year you save nothing from Johansson because he was going to be gone anyway, and then you save a you save a grand total of one and a half million dollars with a six and a half million dollar dead cap hit for buying out Matt Duchesne. It's the third yeah. year that doesn't make any sense. The fourth, fifth, and sixth years, it's one point five million. It's not a big. It's not it doesn't stop you from signing anybody. But that third year is going to affect whatever contract you're trying to give to somebody. And acquiring a, a franchise-changing superstar right now doesn't really make sense because the only trade chip you have of like massive value for that trade is UC Saros. And if you get rid of your goalie, you have a really bad team. You're going to be right there with the Blackhawks and the Coyotes. So it, that kind of trade doesn't make sense. But I, there's some people that are asking, and I, it makes sense. This, this route makes sense. But I don't see them doing it, and they're talking about going an offer sheet because now you can just pay an astronomical amount, whatever. I again, I I don't I don't know. It's it's tough to tell what's going on in Barry Trotz's mind because, like like I said, this move wasn't necessary. It's not like Matthew Shane was going out there and scoring you know fifteen points in seventy something games. He was still a very useful useful player. And I think you got to remember last yeah. year. He played with so many different players. Like Forsberg was the constant, but he had Cody Glass and Yusuf Parson. And I think Tommy Novak for a couple games. Mikhail Granlin for a lot of the season like he was playing with a different center he he wasn't playing with the same center for more than a handful of games at a time and that affects the player's productivity I think if you had Glass Forsberg and, and Duchesne for a full season I think Matt Duchesne gets close to 30 35 goals and 60 70 points and I feel like that's maybe not worth eight million dollars but it's certainly not worth all the money you're gonna have to pay through this buyout yeah. I, I think my instincts are that there's no, like, cause even if you do the corresponding big move where you go sign a young superstar that you've now somehow acquired in a trade, e- even if they're trying to trade them away because they know they can't sign this player, this mythical super, this mythical 24 year old superstar that, Oh, by the way, you're just going to give the same kind of deal to right? Like eight years, 8 million or six years, 10 million or whatever. Let's just it is. call him Trevor Zegris. <laughs> there you go. Like again, e- even if you do, 
put all of that into place, do do you can you rebuild fast enough to take advantage of the talent that you have with it, this player? Because if you're trading for Trevor Zegers, no. If you're trading for an Austin Matthews, then you at least have a better shot of of that happening, but still probably not. But exactly. So this also ties into the other current cap stuff that they've got to do, which of course they made offer sheets to Alex Carrier and to Cody Glass, which are guys that are restricted free agents. Basically, that just means they're on a tr- like on a path to like a, a to avoid trying to avoid arbitration, but they could still get to arbitration. They did yeah. sign Jake Livingston, a guy that you've mentioned a lot about how much they like. But again, we're talking about a two year, seven hundred and seventy five thousand dollar two way contract. Uh, this is a really interesting player to me at twenty four years old for him to go directly from the CCHA right into the NHL and play five games last year. Two time defensive player of the year. He is clearly a part of their future on the blue line, at least in the short term. Um I just like we're we're not talking about things that you need to clear cap space for. Cody Glass and Alex Carrier are not guys you need to clear cap space for. We talked about their contracts potential value, yeah, a, a grand total of four or five million dollars a year between the two of them. They had the space for those guys. Yeah, I mean, Cody Glass is probably looking at a salary two to three million somewhere in there, probably closer to lower end of the of the two two and a half somewhere in there. Carrier probably looking at maybe one and a half two million depends on. You know how aggressively they point out the fact that he missed almost 40 games this season and he really wasn't doing much before that either. So, I mean, you're you're basically looking at maybe four, four and a half million dollars for those two players. Basically, what they what they cleared with the Matt Duchesne buyout, they still would have 20 million left over. So I don't again, from the cap perspective, it, it doesn't feel like this was a cap a move made for cap purposes. Yeah. Talk about Jake. Talk about Jake Livingstone. I mean, he he kind of fits what they need. He's a bigger guy, offensive-minded defenseman. He had, I think, what, 20, 20 something goals and almost 60 assists and a hundred little over a hundred games of Minnesota State. Um I, I think he the two-way contract is good because for you know, most of our re- our listeners know, but for the ones that don't, two-way contract means they can send him down to the AHL. He doesn't have to go through waivers, potentially be claimed by another another team like Ellie Tolvanen was last year. Um, so if you if Carrier accepts a qualifying offer or if you sign him to a contract or whatever, he's probably your sixth defenseman. You keep Livingstone in the AHL getting regular playing time and you bring him up whenever you need to, illness, injury, whatever. Um, but I feel like Livingstone probably works into the plans a little bit this coming year, but probably more for the next season after that. But he absolutely is good enough to be in the top six. So, I mean, that was them kind of, I feel like, kind of covering their butts with what's going on. And, and like we've... Nick Keezer has been all over this. We've heard from sources that Carrier's camp basically is like, either we're going to work out a, a contract or we're going to be traded. Those are the two options. And I, I feel like the there's probably more desperation on, on Carrier's end than the Predators end because they do have Livingstone kind of in their back pocket now. Um, but again, Carrier doesn't have a lot of trade values. So everyone out there who thinks that Carrier can go get you someone like that, he's not. He's going to get you a mid-round pick at best. So, Yeah. These moves, well, and correct. Well, we're definitely seeing Barry Trotz put his stamp on the roster. I think we're all trying to figure out what his stamp is going to look like, though. Well, and so this is so this we can predict all we want to, but now I want your personal take. Like, I don't want there to be a corresponding move if I'm a fan. I I want there to be like make as much space as possible to pay your young players and to give them playing time and suck and then get better through the draft over the next three years by not playing great hockey and allowing your young players to develop. Now, what does that mean for the future of Andrew Burnett? Who knows? Maybe it means this is, he's another, just like Hines, he's another temporary three-year coach. Who knows? I I don't, we just don't know. I don't think that's their plan, but like, who knows? I I don't want there to be another move. Like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the NFL salary cap rolls over. I I don't believe anything in the NHL rolls over. So just that, that extra money you're saving this year, you either got to use it or it's, it's like, you know, it's like, they don't roll over. I don't. I don't believe. Correct me if I'm wrong on the salary cap here. Uh, one second. Sorry, I got. But I, up. I. I don't think there's any way. I've never heard of the NHL. If you have 20 million in space this year, and so let's say you use up five million of that on Carrier and and Glass, let's say uh, that, and you don't use the rest of it, it doesn't carry over to. Ne- you don't get that 15 million next year to go way up over 83 and a half or whatever the number's going to be next year. Like I, it's the NFL does that. I don't believe that the NHL does that. It's the last time I checked, at least. Maybe I'm wrong. You guys feel free to scream at me on Twitter at Braden Golf. I'm wrong about this. I mean, I'm wondering. Uh, again, yeah, I'm I'm looking up so many things trying to make sense of this on the fly because we're literally live reacting I to know, this I know. record. 
I, go, I go to Jasper's, by the way. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to make of it. And I haven't really been able to try to check in with people to figure it out. So if I to answer your question, if I'm a fan of the Predators, I absolutely want there to be a corresponding move, because if you have twenty four million dollars in cap space, spend it. Go get a scoring forward. Go get someone. Barry Trotz is saying he wanted to take high end swings, get get players that get people out of seats. Like if you if you are really trying to play an offensive brand of hockey that gets fans excited, go out and trade for Alex to it, go out and get William Nylander, whatever the, but, whoever but to the what player end, is. But to what end though? Like, what does that buy you this year? A couple of extra wins and a worse draft pick. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be cynical here, but like, what does that buy you? I, I think, and again, I don't know how Matt Shane figures into this or not. I think Barry Trotz, and we even talked about this. David Poyle said there that he thinks this team could be competitive next year. Really, the only two subtractions that are going to make a difference on the ice are, du- are Duchesne and Johansson. Do they really matter that much where you, if you're a borderline playoff team, taking both of those guys off this roster makes you a bottom feeder? I don't I, think I, so. I, I agree with you on Johansson. I disagree with you a little bit more on Duchesne, but I certainly agree when you take both of them off. When you take both of them off, like, uh, I, again, you are spending so – you are spending – essentially $19 million for Matt Duchesne to not play for you for the next six years. You have to believe a lot in the, the that losing that production, A, doesn't hurt you at all, but it might actually help you to be spending that money to let him, to make him go play somewhere else. Oh, by the no, way, you still, I... have, you still have Kyle Turris money on the books, by the way, for a couple more years. Um, look, look, I get it. I get it. But if you, if you take out... Matt Duchesne, and he had 22 goals and 56 points in 71 games. If you take him out and you put Luke Evangelista, and I don't, I don't have the the actual numbers, but Evangelista had seven goals and 15 points in 24 games. Projected over a full 82 game season, I'm sure he's either right on pace or actually probably ahead of what Duchesne was doing this year. I'm not saying he's no going chance. to do that. No chance. I'm not saying he's going to do that, but. This could be how they're thinking. Maybe they're sitting there and they're like, you know what? Luke Evangelista was almost a point per game player last year. Granted, it was 24 games. If we put him into the put him into the lineup next year, do do, do we feel confident that he can match the production of Matt Duchesne was doing this year? Maybe the maybe the answer to that question is yes. Maybe that's why they did it. I'm not I'm not sure. I'm still trying to make sense of this, like I said. But... <laughs> I know, I know. I would agree with you in year three, maybe. Like two or three years from now, I would say yes. Evangelista is probably better, maybe better than Duchesne. I don't. No, think I, I agree too. But and, I, and we I even talked about we even talked about Novak, forty three points, fifty one games. Right. I mean, maybe they believe he's the real deal, and they they want him on the in the top six next year. And the only way that happened was by trading Ryan Johansson. Yeah, but I mean, but, who knows? Putting putting um not not Kemmel, um putting Yusuf Parson in in place of Ryan Johansson and saving four million dollars, I can make sense of that. That that I can say, you know what. Maybe he's not quite as good as Ryan Johansson yet, but but we saw a lot from him last year, and we're not going to lose a lot in terms of you know wins over replacement, for lack of a better term, between Johansson and Parsonen. And oh, by the way, we're going to save four million dollars, and he's injured. Okay, that all makes sense. I can follow all of that. Johansson's, you know, he is what he is. He he, I think he is worthy of being celebrated for his time here. But I think he kind of is what it is. And I frankly, I wanted this 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 segment on the show today to be more of like a reflection and a remembrance of Ryan Johansson. And some of the positives and some of the great stuff, as well as, you know, I think I think his career in Nashville will be defined as what if I think what if is going to be the phrase that we use to define Ryan Johansson. Like, yeah, he's really a, an important member of this generation of hockey, critical in their postseason success, statistical production, great, funny personality. But like, don't I don't think we ever saw a, 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 like a fully all the way there. Ryan Johansson night in, night out for eight years. I, I just think what if. Is the phrase that I feel like with Ryan Johansson as a pre- if, I'm, if I'm a Predators fan, the Duchesne thing. I you are you are at we're beating the horse here, I guess, but you are adding a lot of space over the next two years. What is it that you can do with that space in just the two years? What is it that you're buying with that? I, that's my that's my issue. I can't get my head around that because I don't think it buys you anything in those two years. And then in the third year, again, the last year of his deal. You could have a very old Matt Duchesne for eight million, or you can have no Matt Duchesne for six and a half. What are you going to get with that one point five million dollars? <laughs> that's going to change your franchise. Like I, I, again, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see about the corresponding moves um, uh, coming up here. All right. Do you want to like have some fun and lighten the mood a bit here? Move on to like the draft and the, the sure. Why not the young players and Pecorine and okay. First and foremost, before we get to the draft, I'm going to play you the most viral moment from the NHL draft. 
Montreal Canadian goaltender Carey Price messing up a name. Then I'm going to play Pecorine announcing Tanner Molendyke on Wednesday evening in the first round. And I've got a question for you, Michael, after the after we hear this. So I'm, here, here was Carey Price announcing uh, the, the Montreal Canadiens first round pick, number five overall, I believe. And this was Pecorine announcing the number 24 overall pick. Bonsoir. Le Canadien de Montreal are proud to select David <laughs> we planned it that way. David Reinbacker. With 24th pick of 2023 draft, Nashville is proud to select Tanner. All right. First of all, uh, welcome to Internet Virality, as we talked about in our first round re- recap there. Carey Price will never, ever be forgotten in H- NHL history because of that moment for David Reinbacher. Um, but then Pekka comes back at the 24th pick. Now, here's my question. And a shout out to Gover because he 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 kind of created this. I want to see what you think first, because Pekka gives like a wry smile, kind of screws up and then laughs but then he apologizes later and actually how about this here was tanner molendyke's reaction to when asked about the pecorine situation i kind of knew who's gonna come with whoever had my name there uh you hear it everywhere get messed up so i think uh i don't know i kind of knew it was coming a couple of predator legends uh that had to meet me a lot too yeah that's that's pretty sweet i mean you don't really get that every day you don't get uh guys like yossi and uh renee to do that so i mean that's pretty cool so Molendyke's a great sport about it, Michael. Now let me ask you: Do you think Pecorino did it on purpose to to take some, you know, take the heat off of fellow veteran netminder Carey Price on Wednesday night? I do, but I don't think it. I don't think it was in the way that Gover said. Gover kind of basically said that Pecorino is such a nice guy, and he had so much empathy for Carey Price that he messed up on purpose so people would talk about him instead of Carey Price. I think that. I think that Pekka was making like a, a joke about it, not in like a bad way against Carey Price. I think it was kind of because he, he had that coy little smile when he stopped. And then someone someone in the front row was like, oh, and then he pointed at him. and He was like, no, no. Like, I think he was making a joke of it. I don't think he actually forgot Tanner Molendyke's name. I think he was kind of reliving the Carey Price thing to kind of be like, hey, sports, funny, goofy. Let's not beat up Carey Price on Twitter, basically. So. I think I think he went out there and basically redid the bit, if you will, just so people would kind of be like, "Oh, hey, this is kind of funny and stuff." Okay. I don't I don't think he purposely for, like I don't think he yeah, messed yeah, up Tanner yeah. Molendyke's name. Okay, so then why did the National Predators social media team later that night tweet out the apology from Pekarene to to Tanner Molendyke? And like uh, again, I. I think he forgot the name for like a split second, but then he does roll the name off very smoothly and easily. Like he goes Molendyke, like very easily. So he clearly knew the name. I, I am, I'm very torn on this. I'm all for a good conspiracy theory that Pekka was kind of doing it like poking fun at his buddy, maybe because, you know, netminders and Pekka, for those that don't know, Pekka has a really uh, interesting and bizarre sense of humor. If you get him away from hockey. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked at your theory. I, I why did the Preds tweet out the apology later on then? Because they're thirsty for clicks. <laughs> I mean, no, the, no, the no, way no. I view it, everybody remembers when Kanye West interrupted Taylor Swift. And then yeah. after that at award show, how many at award shows, how many times do we see people come up and be like, all right, I'm gonna let you finish. And then they stop and they laugh and they're like, no, just just kidding. Seriously, though, here's what I wanted to say. Like, it happens. I, I think I think Pekka was just kind of poking fun at the fact that Carrie Price had a brain fart, you know, announcing a pick, the fifth overall pick when a lot of people were watching. Um, so yeah, and I and I think yeah. look, if if it was a bit cooked up by the predators or by Pecorine tweeting out an apology, props. selling it, selling props. it makes sense. So yeah, yeah, yeah prop, I, no, prop, props to everybody for that. I I, I could be completely wrong. He may have actually forgotten his name, but knowing knowing Pecorine like I I do, that to me seemed like that was his way of kind of poking fun at the fact that Carey okay. Price right. a draft pick's name. Um, well, I thought first of all, I thought Molendyke, who I more the more and more I study all these guys, the more and more I love Tanner Molendyke. By the way. Um, 
the he was such a great sport about it and very confident in his press availability after being drafted in the first round and was so like just like laughed it off and took it took it like totally in stride and I like watching a young person just sort of being able to laugh about that kind of stuff I think it's a really positive sign and attribute to have as a young person so uh maybe we'll never know somebody maybe somebody asks uh new European development coach and scout Pecorine about whether or not he actually forgot his name. I think he did. I think he did. But that's just my personal take. So before we get into the the, the entire draft, all 11 new players and sort of the strategy and some of the names that you really like, uh, Michael, let's, let's quickly, as I mentioned, Pekka technically is now a, a part of the organization even more. He was already sort of working with the goaltenders in development camp and in training camp, um, sort of a uh, a team like consultant, right, with, with goaltenders with... Um, with Ben Vanderklok. And then now he's now European development coach and scout. As I just joked, he coached the U 20 finish team uh, as the head coach. Like to me, this screams, and I know I joked earlier about grooming him to be the next head coach, but they are clearly giving him the necessary different types of experience to move his way up and back into the organization in a more prominent role down the road. He's been a head coach for the finish team. He's been a goalie coach in development camp. Now he's a European scout and, and um, coach. Like he's sort of he's they are giving him all the skills and all the experiences you would need to then bring him back to the organization in a full time role or capacity, either in the front office or behind the bench. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, there he was a special alumni advisor last year. Um, and I think that that was like a one year trial run to see how it went to see if that was kind of what he was looking for in his post retirement life. And I think it went well. Hence why they make him the new European scout. Um and in his new role, he'll be working with Ben Vanderklok, the Predators goaltending coach. He'll be attending camps in Nashville and Milwaukee. He'll be helping to develop all of the goaltenders in the system, and, you know, coaching and working with them and stuff like that. He'll also be scouting European-based European goaltender prospects for the team, which instantly, I feel like, gives them a leg up over any other team in the NHL because the Predators can send Pekka freaking Rene over there to walk right in <laughs> and be like, hey, you want my credentials? Go watch me on YouTube. Like, I, I Well, I don't even think they need to, like, I don't even think they need to know that. Like, the, the who's the guy they drafted? We'll get to this in a second. But, like, the fourth-round pick, the, the Juha Jutkola, the, the goaltender out of Finland, by the way, number, yeah. two, number two international goaltender. Like, these guys in Europe idolize Pekka Rene, especially in Finland. So, like, they don't oh, even... Oh, for sure. He, his name precedes him in those situations. Yeah, I mean, everyone already knows who he is, but like I was saying, it gives them them a leg up on everybody else because they're all sending their amateur scouts, their director of scouting, whoever, and the Predators are sending Pecorini over there. I would instantly, if I was a young 16, 17, 18-year-old goaltender, would be drawn to Pecorini because he's one of the best to ever do it. Yep. Um, and I think, I think it's good for them. I, I see this as a way to get him some scouting and coaching experience, maybe for a couple years. Maybe he works his way up in the organization. Maybe he wants to be a goaltending coach. Maybe that's his, his post-retirement career path. Maybe he wants to be a head coach. I think this avenue sets him up to do whatever he wants in the coaching and scouting world. Maybe he wants to do both. Maybe he wants to pick one. Yep. I, I think that's what, to me, that's what it screams. Like, we're going to give you a depth and breadth of knowledge in all of the different types of roles and then see where you see where the water finds its level, right? Like, see where he wants to end up and where he wants to go and I, I think he could end up as the the next head coach of the National Predators. I could I, I could see him being the next general manager of the National Predators, the next head of scouting, the next assistant coach. Like he literally, I I, I would not put anything past Pecorino. Just Andrew just, Burnett hasn't even coached one game, and we're already yeah, running yeah, the town. Yeah. Well, look, dude, I'm sorry. This is Pecorino is Pecorino in this city. Like that. That's I also again knowing him. Not, I don't know him well. I'm not going to say that, but I've been around him a lot, and knowing the personality type. I just would not bet against him doing anything he wants to accomplish. And if that is general manager or head coach, I'm not putting it past him. He will accomplish it. <laughs> that's, that's 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 what I think about, about that. Development camp for the rookies begins July 1st, runs through the 6th. Michael, I know it's one of your favorite times of the year, so we'll get your thoughts on what you can't wait to see in just a minute. But NHL draft strategy. They drafted 11 players. They made a couple of trades. David Poyle gets a standing ovation on the final pick, which is kind of cool there. Um... 11 players drafted, eight forwards, four of the top five picks were forwards. Uh, they take two defensemen and one goaltender. They take a defenseman in the third round with the 83rd pick, Dylan McKinnon. They take a defenseman, Tanner Molendyke, in the first round. But otherwise, they go heavy forward. So number one, we know the farm system is not great on defense, but they still go heavy forward because they're still searching for those scorers. 
Uh, number, what do you think about the strategy in terms of eight out of 11, four out of the top five? Uh, you certainly trade up to get a center with the 43rd pick. Uh, they moved up four spots and gave up a, a the 147th pick, like a fifth rounder. Basically move up and take Felix Nilsson, a center out of Sweden. Did they draft enough guys that can play true center? And do you like the strategy and the layout of, of how they structured the 11 picks? Yeah, um, it, it's interesting. Um, I guess it depends on how Andrew Burnett and Barry Trotz like to employ their centers. Uh, it was a running joke. I think Jim Diamond started it that um, if David Poyle is drafting a center, he's really drafting a winger. And I think at one point it was it was the Craig Smith, Colin Wilson line was someone else. And, and Jim Diamond called it the helicopter line because there were no wings on it. Um, I, I could see I could see them maybe using a couple of their centers playing all three forward positions. But I mean, five out of your 11 picks were centers. We clearly knew that that was the position of need for them. And it was a little puzzling to me that you pass up someone like Oliver Moore at 15 to go with Matthew Wood because Oliver Moore is a center. He was widely regarded as a top 10 projected top 10 pick. The fact that he fell to 19. Oh, when he goes to your division rival Chicago Blackhawks right after yeah. guard was a bit of a gut punch. But yeah, and Oliver Moore probably is the fastest skater in the draft. He checked all the boxes that the team was looking for. But looking at the Matthew Wood pick. Kind of goes back to what Barry Trotz said he wanted. He wanted high-end swings. And I, from some of the scouts I talked to at the draft, Matthew Wood has really high upside. And I think that's what the Predators are banking on, is him reaching that. He even said he models his game after Tage Thompson. He wants to be the Tage Thompson for the National Predators. And look, Tage Thompson, 40-goal, 90-point score last year. If Matthew Wood turns into that, that's best-case scenario. But I think that was Trotz said, let's take some high-end swings. And I think Matthew Wood is a high-end swing because it's, he has a really high upside. There were some uh, scouts that had him ranked in the top 10. Um, big power forward. I think he can develop into that. But that's putting a lot of a lot of pressure on a kid who, by the way, is only 17, was the youngest player in the NCAA this year. A point-per-game player as a freshman, which is almost unheard of. Um, unless special cases like Adam Fantilli and players like that. But I think that's something that they're looking at too. And it's also been reported, and maybe maybe the Predators knew this and they talked about it. It's been reported that Matthew Wood, he's going back to UConn this year. Um, he may play center there. Maybe that was part of their plan too. Maybe they knew he wants to play center. He he doesn't strike me as a center. Um, I thought this was interesting. So four out of four of the top six picks, by the way, also played on the same gold medal Canadian team in the Hinka Gretzky Cup. I don't know what that I don't know what that is. I've never scouted the Hinka Gretzky Cup, but the they, they, big they, international they, tournament that everybody loses their minds over. Well, four guys on the same team, a lot of Canadian influence in this draft. I want to say like six or seven guys from Canada. Um, so again, Matthew Wood, Tanner Molodike with their first two picks. They in the the third pick in the second round, they take Felix Nilsson, the center out of Sweden. Um, they traded up to get Felix Nilsson too. Tra traded up to get him with the forty sixth pick in the second round. They take Kalen Lind, a a winger who uh, from the WHL, six foot, one hundred sixty pounds. With the third first pick in the third round, sixty eighth overall, they take Jesse Kliskinen, a forward who, when I was reading from Finland, when I'm reading up about him. They, they're calling him like a pure shooting winger, which makes me think like James Neal and Craig Smith, um, but talks a lot about how much he loves practice and work ethic. So I don't think Klings, Kliskinen can be considered a center. I don't think Matthew Wood is considered a center. You're saying that the other guys, though, could 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 be converted into centers. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not ruling out Matthew Wood moving to center. It was I forgot where I read it. I wish I could attribute credit to them. It was it was a it was, I believe it was a newspaper in Connecticut. So they obviously know more about this team and are more plugged into this than than I am. Um, but it was a reporter in Connecticut that covers UConn that said that he probably would be switching to center next season. So I wouldn't rule that out. I don't know if that's in, in the Predators plans or not. Obviously, if he models his game after Tage Thompson, uh, who knows? I, I think it's something interesting to watch. I wouldn't rule out Wood moving to center. Felix Nielsen already is a center, um, and he's more than a point-per-game player in the Swedish Junior League. I feel like he's someone that they – and even Jeff Kilty, he said he's he's a complete centerman. He's very intelligent, plays the game the right way, solid ability both ends. To me, that to me that tells me they're going to probably keep him at center. Some of the other guys, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out, like Joey Willis, uh, who is the other guy, Sutter Mazzotti, Austin Roast, all these guys. I wouldn't rule out them – maybe using them and their versatility to switch them over. But again, if you, if you draft them to play center, just let them play center. What, what I think about, the things of the predators moving centers to the wing should be over. What about their second, their other second round pick, Kalen Lind, who I believe this is a guy that I wrote down fearless energy needs to add weight. 
six foot, 160 pound out of the WHL. I believe he played with Zachary LaRue. And was the comment, I believe, in, in his press availability after being drafted on Thursday was uh, he, he's a guy who gets a I'm paraphrasing here, but I was listening on It's All Your Fault uh, that he basically said, you know, LaRue's a guy who's got a bad rep, obviously, but I think he's a really sweet guy. <laughs> yeah, no, they're like I like I tweeted out. Imagine Kalen Lynn and Zachary LaRue playing on the same line. They're both they're both physical aggressive kind of the, yeah. the piss and vinegar guys, if you will, that's what they are. And I think Dylan McKinnon, the defenseman too, I, I think I read somewhere that he got suspended last year for fighting too much. Actually, he's kind of the enforcer type. So they go out and they get two guys in Dylan McKinnon and Kayla Lynn that fit that bill. Um, and that and the, look, that was the third round pick 83rd overall. So that was their sixth pick. I mean, that was, a was yeah. And, and I, I think Kalen Lynn can be a, a solid player. I think he's kind of, I think they might groom him to take over the Colton Sissons role on the third line. Of the, uh, clearly, they like that third line being the gritty line. I don't know if it's going to be Tanner, uh, the Tanner Janot, the the herd line when he was there. But I, I feel like they 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 like having one line like that that will go out and fight, will go out and do all the stuff that no one wants to do, and all that stuff. So I think Lind and Larue fit that bill perfectly. Maybe you throw him on a line with Fedor Svechkov, who's more of a, a defensive center. Um, Maybe that makes sense. I don't know. Clearly, they're planning for the future. I think this draft class shows Barry Trotz has a vision for this team, and he has a he has in mind how he wants them to play and what they're going to look like. Yeah. And I think that's what led to him hiring Andrew Burnett, as I think he and Andrew Burnett are on the same page of what they want out of this team. Uh, in, in general, so McKinnon, 6'2", 190 pounds. They come back and they get uh, Sutter Muzzati, who's a USA forward, but he lived in Italy. His dad played in the NHL, 6'5", 210 pounds. Um, they take, they draft Austin roast, a forward out of Canada, whose dad also played a bunch in the NHL in the sixth round. And then they trade back up and get Adam Fink or excuse me, Aiden Fink, who's a forward from Canada. He's going to go to Penn state. And that's when David Poyle gets a standing ovation from literally every human being in the building. So just in general, like there, I don't know. And I'm not going to sit here and say, I know enough about Felix Nilsson to be a, a worthy centerman for them to trade up and grab. But the 43rd pick is a really valuable asset. Kalen Lind with the 46th pick is a very valuable asset. I think you can look at Jesse Kliskinen and Dylan McKinnon at 68 and 83. Those are the picks in the third round. I think those are the six names. The top six are the guys you look at and you go, we need to get something from these guys at some point in varying degrees. So, if, and two, two of those are defensemen, four forwards, couple of centers, couple of wingers. What, what do you make of the, at least, what do you like about what they did and who do we expect to see maybe first or, or cause I don't, I think Matthew Wood's going to take some time to get here. Oh, yeah, for I sure. think, I think Molendyke could, could, could move quickly through the system. No, I do too. And, and it goes to me, it goes back to what Trot said a month or two ago. I, I, I all the days are running together um, where he said he wants four top end players out of the next two drafts. Clearly I think Wood and Molendyke are two of those guys. I don't know if if they think Felix Nielsen is is going to be one of those guys, which is why they traded up in the in the second round to get him. Um, I don't know if if they acquired. I think they acquired what three or four more picks in the twenty twenty four draft. I don't know if they did that to maybe package them and maybe get a second pick in next year's draft. Who knows? But I definitely think they're on the right track with Molendyke and with Wood, maybe with Nielsen too. Um, all the other guys, I feel like they're more just depth pieces, bottom six guys. But from what I'm looking at scouts are kind of divided on Tanner Mullendike. Either you love him or you hate him. There's not really an in-between. Um, one I, of, I, I like him. I'm not a scout, but I like him. No, I like him too. I, watching him, I think he can be... He, he's clearly he's a puck-moving offensive defenseman. And that's kind of the, the MO of the Predators and what they draft and what they look for. We saw with Ryan Ellis, with Roman Yossi, Shea Weber, Ryan Suter. Like, he fits what they look for. And I think it was Corey Pronman on the Athletic um, talk to a bunch of scouts and ask them just random opinions and random guys and an anonymous scout talking about Tanner Molendyke said he's not the best defenseman in the, in the, in the draft class, but he's not far from being at the top of the group. He's an elite skater, a true competitor, and he'll have a long NHL career. Yeah. And I feel like I'm starting to see more of, of scouts and executives that have that opinion on Tanner Molendyke that he can be a good player. Um, talk, talking to him after being drafted, he is, you know, Matthew Wood to me is a long-term project with tons of upside, as you pointed out. Yeah, huge, huge frame, six three. I think he's going to have to really fill out, but he's like 190 pounds already. He could easily play at 210, 215, and and could be a true power forward that they haven't really had at that size since probably James Neal. And he's probably bigger. Could end up being bigger than James Neal. Yeah. But, but Molendike is like the like the confidence at the podium. 
again, I already mentioned this being able to laugh off the Pecorine thing, whether that was real or not. Like he is, he is very clear about what he does best, which is transition, puck movement, skating. And then you watch his highlights and you're like, holy shit, this dude can, like he is, the highlight reel on him is very impressive. Now, all these guys look great when they're going up against like 16 year olds. I get it. But and when you're watching a highlight reel, <laughs> it's very true. Note to all football recruiting experts. Um, it, it's just really, it, uh, he's the guy that I think fits really well. Again, Tanner Mullendike fascinates me. And I think out of all of the, all the, all the players in this draft class, we will see him first because yeah, I agree. I'm not saying he's the most NHL ready defenseman that was in the class, but I think he's, he's not far off. And I, I might even never done this before, but I might even do a film analysis on Tanner Mullendike just because there's so many things I watched on film that I really liked about him. There was one clip where he was, I, I don't even know if I can describe the play, but he was carrying the puck up to the blue line, basically, and he got almost driven into the boards, and he pulled off, like, this crazy-ass spin move, got yeah, out of the way, yeah. like, shifted, changed direction so quickly, and it's stuff like that. And if I'm picking up on that, I can only imagine the Predator scouts sitting there salivating, watching a guy that can do stuff like that with the puck. So I think he's got I think he will probably be the closest, he will be the first person from this class to make it to the NHL. I could see him in a, in a top-four pairing role, and maybe you you go out and you you got him because maybe I don't know maybe you pair him with Dante Fabro and Dante Fabro is more of the stay at home kind of defenseman and Tanner Molendyk is going to be the guy that plays the Roman Yossi role where he's up doing crazy stuff by the net. He, he he is the most confident of this group and he is the best skater of this group. Those oh, two things sure. those two things alone will give you a good chance. So I agree with you. I think he could be the first one there. I love Again, when he was asked what who he who he wanted to play or what forward he would like to play right away and he immediately called out Connor McDavid. Yeah, he's like, I don't want to get roasted. Yeah, I don't want to get roasted, eh? But yeah, uh, he's like, I don't want to get roasted by that speed, but I want to, I want to test myself against him. Right, I thought that you, was, I thought that was great. He's oozing confidence. Clearly, he it. believes in himself, even if some of the other scouts don't. So, in, in, I, I, th I think he could. Again, it depends on how Matthew Wood develops and where, what position he plays. But I think Tanner Mullen, like, I, ten years from now, I wouldn't be surprised if he was the best player from this draft class. I, I think Wood is just sort of a traditional top fifteen pick, like clearly has skills, clearly has size, clearly has ability, clearly needs time to develop, and it's sort of a traditional upside forward pick. Whereas Molendyke's a little bit off. Some people didn't like him because of the size, or you know, he's a very handsy skater, a great skater as well. So I, I, I agree with that. So Dev Camp's coming up. Uh, anything else you are looking forward to seeing? Um, is it just sort of like all these first and second round picks in the last three years playing together? Like what, what is the thing you're, you're looking forward to yeah. seeing in Dev Camp? I mean, I think this could be the most loaded dev cam probably the Predators have ever had. I mean, you're yeah. looking at potentially Barry Trotz talking about, you know, potentially having five or six first round picks playing Milwaukee. All those guys should be at dev cam, too. I mean, you're, you're looking at having potentially Kemmel and uh, who else? Svechkov and LaRue. And now you throw in Mullendike and you throw in Matthew Wood and Nilsson. Like there's going to be a lot of talent there. And yeah. I think it'll be interesting to watch just kind of how they all gel, how they play together. It'll be my first time getting to see Matthew Wood and Mullendike and some of those guys in person. So I, that's what I'm looking forward to. But I'm, I'm really just kind of looking to see what do the forward prospects look like. And with some of the guys I saw last year, like Kemmel um, and Askarov, obviously he's not offensive, but he's, he's a goalie. But seeing how seeing how they look now compared to last year, because I have I have a, a ground basis of what they look like last year. And I am interested to see how they've grown over having a full season in the AHL under their belts. So quickly, uh, Derek McKenzie has been added as the final coach on the coaching staff to Andrew Brunette. 16 years in the NHL. He he coached with, with, with Brunette in Florida. He was there from 2019 to 2022. Um, a, a completely random and meaningless fact, in my opinion. He played with Mike Fisher and knows him. I don't know why that's in the press release. Uh, uh, I guess it's interesting. Is his that last, the new knows Sean McVay? His, yeah. His <laughs> he knows last, Mike Fisher. Yeah. His last... Uh, his his last coaching job, Sudbury Wolves in the OHL as the head coach. So I, I don't have a ton to add on that. I don't really know a ton about him, but we'll see. That's the staff that's been rounded out. And then I thought this was interesting. Of course, uh, Connor McDavid wins the Hart Trophy third in a row. 195 out of 196 first place votes. David Pasternak got that one first place vote, and that guy voted Connor McDavid fifth. I don't understand that. Um, your Norris Trophy, Eric Carlson. Um, Linus Olmark won the Vesna and more interesting to me, UC Saros finished fourth in the voting, which means he's been a starting goaltender for like two and a half seasons and has finished in the top six of the Vesna all three times that he has been technically a starting goaltender. So kind of all and he was know, only all to know. He was only like what four or five points behind Connor Hellebuck for third place. Like he was very close to being one of the three finalists too. And 
yeah, he's not getting in there. He's not winning the trophy. But to me, at least, that shows that he's starting to get that national recognition because that's something we always talk about. As good as Pecorini was, he always suffered that small market bias. And I think Saros, we're starting to see, he might not have been a finalist, but it was razor close. I think we're starting to see that he's he's starting to get more national attention that he rightfully deserves. So for those who don't know, that's the award that's voted on by the general managers. He got two first place votes two second place votes and eight third place votes. So that means he was on the top three in 12 different ballots. He finished sixth in the Vesna trophy voting three years ago. He only started 35 games that season and finished sixth. Of course, last year he started 67 games, led the NHL in games played, finished third in the voting, led the NHL in games played, saves against shots against save percentage and minutes this year. Uh, and of course, finished fourth in the Vesna. So again, he is a top five goaltender in the NHL in the world. Full stop. On, on UC Saros, and he is 27 years old. He's played eight seasons, but he hasn't been worn out. You still have at least three or four or five more good ones if you want with UC Saros. And oh, by the way, fairly cheap for the next three years under contract. So maybe he's yeah. the one, maybe this is what Barry Trotz is doing with all this Duchesne stuff. He's like, no, we got UC Saros. So we're going to play a bunch of young kids. I'm going to go sign a couple of veterans with this extra cap space, and we're going to try to make a run at the playoffs. I, I don't know. Yeah, I same. I don't know. That's 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 the blanket <laughs> answer to this. I don't know. I feel like Barry's cooking something up. What yeah, it is, I'm not yeah. sure. Hopefully, we'll have more answers by by the time we talk next week. Free agency will have started. De- Dev Camp will have been in play. So, yep. So, uh, no episode next week. Uh, Michael, well deserved week off. Happy Fourth of July to everybody. Enjoy development camp. When we come back two weeks from now, we'll have really good insight on development camp on free agency. If there's any big news, we'll we'll jump in the studio and we'll we'll, we'll record an episode that's um, sort of a, an emergency pod. But for now. Uh, we we end we end this very important and monstrous podcast with I don't know. <laughs> That's the kind Best of analysis. Way to do it. It's the kind of analysis you get here. What I do know, Jasper's is spectacular. So go to Jasper's, everybody. Um, you order can, the uh, street corn flatbread. You won't be disappointed, dude. The Betsy flatbread is also amazing. It is. I think we had George Scoville tweeted us actually during the draft, and he got the street corn flatbread and said it was really good as well. So we're steering you in the right direction. I love the 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 veggie. I love the hippies unite flatbread, but the the Betsy I tried recently. It is uh, pepperoni, banana peppers, mushroom, and goat cheese. Holy shit. Holy shit, Jaspers. Earmuffs. Holy shit. It was great. It was amazing, delicious, and uh, the beer specials are great. The drink specials are great. They got the game room. They got bingo night now as well. Um, otherwise, uh, how about this? Final thoughts from the from the experience being inside the building in your very first ever NHL draft, Michael. What would you think of, of two days of, of coverage and... Uh, just in general, the performance of Bridgestone, the Predators, the NHL, uh, the Wi-Fi, etc. Uh, the Wi-Fi. Clearly, Bridgestone Arena is not equipped to handle events like this because you have upwards of probably close to three, four hundred reporters there, several television networks, radio stations. You need more bandwidth than you need more than just one Wi-Fi network housing all those people. I could not get stats to load. I could not write my stories. I couldn't load photos up on, on Nashville Hockey Now. I could not do anything. I was literally handcuffed sitting there internally screaming while cussing the Bridgestone Arena staff because I couldn't do anything. But the well, Wi-Fi... For the, for, for the record, I wanted you to say all the positive things that you enjoyed about the experience. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. The Wi-Fi was the only real negative part of that. I will say they did they did a great job of trying to be accommodating. They set up pods so multiple people could interview the prospects. And they did a good job of trying to get people in, do their business, and get them out of there in a, in a relatively reasonable time. Um, if that was the NFL draft, that would have been a nightmare because he'd been there for been there all day. Yeah. Um, I think the setup was great. I think it was great that we got to we were the media was on risers looking down into the bowl and getting to see everything. Um, the stage and everything was set up well, really well, too. I, I think it was a great experience. Like, great. I have nothing to compare it to. It was my first time covering a draft. I've been in Bridgestone Arena several times, so I had pretty high expectations just based off of what uh, you know the game ops crew does on a nightly basis with games and stuff. But good job, I think for the most part it was really well. Just just like you know, beef up the Wi-Fi next time. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Like just as a as a child who loved hockey in the '90s, growing up loving hockey in the early '90s and all throughout the '90s, like the only players I I don't recognize a ton of players and any like guys from other teams necessarily because I cover the Preds and it's the only hockey team I've ever covered. I've never really covered the NHL as a as a media member, but like recognizing, you know, Rod Brindamore and Joe Sackick and recognizing Tamu Solani and watching him walk around. We did see we did see LaViolette, uh, of course, walking around. But like just seeing guys that I grew up watching, that part was kind of cool. 
because I've never been, I've never stood next to Tamu Solani. I'm like, the guy still yeah. looks like he could go out there and play, by the way. Like, I, I've never been next, I've never kind of spoken to those guys or been next to those guys or been around some of those those types of players that I, I genuinely loved watching as a kid in, 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 you know, 1994, 1997 and whatever. So um, that, that part was kind of cool. And it's just, it's the first like truly national event where you have people from, there's so many different languages being spoken at all times. Like you'd walk down the hallway and you'd hear one conversation in French, then the next conversation would be in Swedish, the next conversation would be in Finnish, then you'd have a Russian conversation, and then yeah. it's and then it's like us rednecks from Tennessee talking in broken American English, and then you've got New Yorkers, and then you've got West Coast guys, and like that part was pretty cool, just the the, the entire league being represented in one place. That's not what happens in the in the Stanley Cup, for for example, um, which I've covered, but like, you know, it's very different. So uh, otherwise, great great job uh, by the Pred staff, and and uh, we'll see what these players can do. We'll, we'll talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. Have a great holiday at MG Sports underscore Nashville Hockey Now at Braden Gall at 440 Sports. Have a great Fourth of July holiday, everybody. Thank you for listening. Go to Jaspers. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.